1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Welcome to Wednesday War College. My name is Jesse Romero, Dr. Dan Schneider. A lot to talk about today. Dan, welcome back to the show, my friend. I know you've been busy. You've been like a ping pong ball. <laughs> I, yeah, more. Uh, I, I'm on the receiving end, though. I'm not the racket. I'm the racket. That's, I'm the ball that keeps getting hit. It's okay, Dan, but you're, uh, you're doing the good work for Holy Mother Church. M a much-needed book that you came out with, uh, Libra Cristo. Uh, spiritual uh, uh, field manual for spiritual combat. What an incredible book. There's a lot of excitement. And I'll tell you why, because there's other manuals out there that that uh, they don't rate, Dan. It's it's like, uh, I don't know, you'd probably give them a C minus or a D in terms of Catholic content. Yours is a stellar A plus. Yours is a valedictorian spiritual warfare manual and so we want to push this out to as many people as we can for as long as we can because this is what the church has been waiting for yeah no i appreciate that there's a lot of books you and i were talking the other day this the devil in the city of angels your book it gives the problem that's right right your yeah. book and you gotta yes. know the problem you gotta know the problem i mean you have to understand number one that there is a problem <laughs> before you can fix it and then you got to know how to fix it correctly. So this is a solution to the problem. That's right. So you know what? Anybody who buys Dan's book, you should actually get my book because I lay out the problem and it's ugly. And Dan's book is the solution, how you yeah. get rid of the problem with the diabolical. Dan, I want to just talk about, uh, get your take. Uh, first thing I want to talk about is there, there was a smoking ceremony that happened in Australia. An Australian bishop participated. It says... An Australian bishop was welcomed to his new diocese Tuesday with a smoking ceremony led by a member of the country's Aboriginal community. I don't think the Aboriginal community is part of uh, the Catholic Church insofar as, uh, you know, they hold on to their pagan practices. Right. Bishop Kenneth Howell took part in the ceremony outside St. Patrick's Cathedral at the start of his July 11th solemn liturgical reception. Uh, says the ceremony was described in the order of service booklet as welcome to country, a common ritual in Australia, recognizing that a public event is taking place on land inhabited by indigenous peoples. The 65-year-old bishop was invited to take part in the ceremony by Janine Mayer, a representative of the Western Waka Waka people, an Aboriginal community of Queensland. Mayer said, today's a very special day for welcoming your new bishop. I'd like to acknowledge and pay respects to all my elders and ancestors from the past and present emerging. I'd like to also acknowledge and pay respects to all your ancestors and elders as well. So she continued to hear what here. Here's where here's the, the meat of it. Today, I'm doing a smoking ceremony to welcome you all and your bishop to bring in healing and healthy, positive vibes and to cleanse and remove any past negative energies. I hope that this smoking ceremony brings you all peace and good energies and that it cleanses the area and brings success and confidence to you all. Dan, 
Everything Yeshida said there in the last two sentences has nothing to do with Roman Catholic Christianity. In my take, this lady's probably very well-intentioned, but she just invoked demons. Or she says, oh, I'm going to call positive vibes and energies. No, ma'am, these are demons. And the bishop basically accepted this pagan ritual to be done in his, pres in his presence. Dan, yeah. this is a problem, as you're always saying. We as Catholics have lost our ability to discern the clean from the unclean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just, I was looking at that this morning um, and this understanding of clean from unclean, clean of unclean ritual, clean of unclean speech, clean of unclean morality, clean of unclean sexual practices. This is the key to, to, to a right understanding of the faith. We have to know, we have to know our faith. This is why, you know, what we're, you and I are doing in this book that I just come out with, trying to show Catholic principles for discernment of these things. And, and so I, I looked this up this morning in Father Hardin's Catholic, uh, uh, modern Catholic. Um, and here's, here's the definition of syncretism. He said, the efforts to different doctrines and practices, especially in religion, such unions or amalgam, amalgams are part of cultural history and are typical of what has occurred in every segment of the non-Christian world. So syncretism is a non-Christian thing. Even the even even occultists will, will, will they'll borrow elements from other uh, um, religions or other occults that uh, that bring power. Okay, so th they have no problem blending in other spiritualities. Syncretism is also applied to the ecum ecumenical efforts among separated Christian churches and within Catholicism to the attempts uh, made in elements of different theological schools. Now. You could try to, you know, try to, uh, to to look at theological schools in terms of morality, in terms of ecclesiology. Theologians can do this to kind of push forward and 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 try to understand each other at, at that level. Okay, but then it says, but in recent years, the term is mainly referring to mis misguided claims that religious unity can be achieved by ignoring the differences between faiths on the assumption that all creeds are essentially one and the same. Mm. And it gives the etymology, uh, syncretso, to unite disunited elements into a harmonious whole. So I got to thinking about that word syn syncretism, where it comes from, the root of the word. The root of the word comes um, to, being, to being with the, the, the Cretans, right, from Crete, syncretso. Ah. So, and, so, and so it's interesting. Um, so I looked at scripture on two things. One is on, on, on how... Uh, um, Catholic and Jewish and Catholic use um, what's it called uh, incense. The Jewish they used it was part of the uh, incense was Thanksgiving. It was part of the sacrificial uh, the Thanksgiving offerings. And uh, in, in Catholic tradition, liturgies are used for purification, sanctification. They're, they're, in Revelation, we see the prayers of the faithful ones rise like incense before the throne of God. Um, so so the, it, it's, it's a sacred ritual among our liturgies. It's not for spreading good vibes, right? And it's not necessarily for driving out demons, right? In the asparagus in Catholic liturgy, driving out demons is done at the beginning when the priest sprinkles holy water over the community. So the, but, but going back to the Cretans, this is an island that was that 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 uh, um, um, historical that it was homer actually said crete of a hundred cities so this was a camagum uh, this this was a a, a a place where it was an island south of greece and th these islands malta sicily uh, uh um, um crete these are critical islands in the ancient world that you had to conquer and hold um to have naval uh, uh superiority and so 
you see even in Malta and Sicily, a blending of multiple, it's multicultural. So, so, but, but Crete especially so, because of its proximity to both Africa and Greece. And so Titus goes to Greece, right? Or Paul, Paul writes to Titus and he says a couple of things in Titus 1. He made him. Um, he made him the bishop of Titus. Uh, of Crete, Titus was the yeah. first bishop, and yeah, I think he Crete. was in one of the seventy-two that, of Apollos of Rome that went out driving out demons. And and Luke, we've talked about that many times. Um, he said, uh, um, "For there are also many rebels, idol talkers, and deceivers, especially Jewish Christians. These are the Judaizers. Instead of paying attention to Jewish myths and regulation of people who have repudiated the truth." Um, they, you said, teach them to clean, uh, let me see, uh, to clean, to the clean, all things are clean, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, Ooh, nothing is clean. Wow. That's right there, Titus 1.15. And so knowing clean worship is actually critical. And he's saying this in the context of liturgy, the, those that would try to impose, uh, um, um, uh, what they call judaizers, they're trying to impose syncret syncretistic uh, 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 blendings of Christianity, this nascent Christian uh, church, and and hold other elements uh, right in Crete. And so, what we have here is syncretism. I mean, we need to call it call it for what it is. This is this is syncretism. This is what's going on. It's very dangerous. And Dan, uh, also in Titus chapter one verse twelve, kind of a fascinating passage. Uh, Paul says to Titus, he says, one of themselves, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil, beasts, lazy, and gluttons. Uh, it, what's fascinating is, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, he's quoting, he's referring to the, to the Cretan poet Epimet, Epimenides, Epimet, as Epimenides, yeah. yeah, and he's saying that Epimenides is saying, Cretans are always liars, evil, <laughs> beasts, uh, and lazy, and gluttons. Then the, the fact is, this bishop, unfortunately, he just conceded to participate in a complete pagan rite. And yeah. again, I just go back to, to tradition. The psalmist says the gods of the Gentiles are demons. I mean, these, these are unclean pagan practices. This is what modernists uh, calls enculturation. But basically, we as Catholics, we uh, enculturation means for modernists is that we Catholics concede to the pagan practices and rituals right. in order to get along. That's what it means. We concede, we cave in because we want to get along. That's enculturation. It's 100% flies in the face under the name of ecumenism is what it is. But ecumenism, first principle of ecumenism, according to the Second Vatican Council, um, is to is to recognize the authority of the one holy Catholic Church and find our unity within that. That's the first principle. Here's another from Father Hardin. This is a great book. It's Father Hardin's uh, Modern Catholic Dictionary. Whenever I, we have to begin with first principles and definitions. So let's be clear on our definition. The St. Thomas says, let us distinguish uh, two, two definitions. Uh, eclectic, uh, eclecticism, the principle or practice of drawing on different religions in order to form a coherent unity while omitting the elements of each religion that do not fit into that unity. So they're trying they, they find something common. What's common in this particular one? Smoke, right? What's common with the smudging ceremony? The imposition of hands and the use of, uh, of, of some, some material, some innate material. Uh, we, we use oil. Americans use, use the smudge formula of mud or whatever it is. But, the, it, but it's all, it's, uh, this, is, this is emitting elements of each that do not fit into that unity. So, so, so this is what Dan, we're looking at. Hold that thought. We'll be back. We'll be back, Dan. We'll be stick around. Jesus, uh, Wednesday, War College.
let me let Wednesday Ward College. Yes, remember Dan Schneider. Dan just came out with a new book, Liver Crystal, a field manual for spiritual combat. Every Catholic needs to get this book. This book needs to be uh, a centerpiece in every Catholic home so we can know how to protect ourselves from the diabolical. Dan, uh, we I hope everybody in uh, over there in, in uh, what country are we talking about right now? Australia. This, uh, yeah, I hope everybody in Australia buys your book because this is definitely an unclean practice. It pains me to see a Catholic bishop participate in some Aboriginal smoking ceremony just to be ecumenical. Uh, and here's my take. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 10, verse 8 and 10, the Bible says you must be able to distinguish what is sacred and what is profane and what is clean and what is unclean. This is what Moses told the Levites. And we've lost that ability. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, I'm also reminded in the book of Revelation, chapter 18, verse 4 and 5, the context is talking about Babylon. But uh, but it, you could it could applies to this pass to this in, uh, this uh, issue as well. It says, "Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Depart from her, my people, so as not to take part in her sins and receive a share in her plagues, for her sins are piled up to the sky, and God remembers her crimes. We're called to separate ourselves from Babylon. We're also called to separate ourselves from all all the pre-Christian pagan practices." That Catholics used to be a part of in Ireland, in Mexico, in Brazil, wherever you were at. I get it. I get it that these these are these there's elements of truth even in pagan religions. But as Catholics, we can't revert to pagan pre-Christian practices because if we're stuck in our pagan past, we can't grow up and follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means we're still drinking milk and we need to be eating red meat, Dan. Yeah, no, um, I, spot on. We, we we need to understand what this is before we, uh, um, so we can understand what's happening. Here's another definition from from Father Hardin's uh, Modern Catholic Dictionary: Ritual Unionism, a tendency that the in the ecumenical movement towards liturgical conformity among Christian churches without previous agreement on doctrine. So there's you got to establish doctrine first. Before you can you can try to enculturate, you have to be in agreement on doctrine. And so we see a radical disagreement on this bringing good vibes and driving out evil spirits. Uh, and what they're basically doing is is invoking one one evil spirit to drive out other evil spirits is what they're doing. And this is this is a it's a ceremony of somewhat of conscription. And how do we do that? We have to go back to the deposit of faith, Catechism number eighty four. How do we know clean from unclean? We go back to the rule of St. Irenaeus, 2nd century, that which was uh, 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 believed by everyone always from the beginning. There is a development of doctrine, to be sure, but this is this is a radical rupture with, with authentic liturgy and authentic doctrine. And why? Because we have the principle of lex orande, lex credende, as we pray, as we worship, we believe. And so if we can, if, 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 if the mass can be infiltrated and distorted with pagan rituals, you're introducing a, a, a false gods and fa false doctrine into the church. But here's what the catechism says on the deposit of faith. The apostles entrusted the sacred deposit or the depositum fidei contained in sacred scripture and tradition to the whole church uh, by adhering to this heritage. This is our heritage as Roman Catholics. Our heritage is not Mayan. It's not Aborigine. Yeah, right. our, heritage, our heritage is Roman Catholic. 
remains always faithful to the teaching of the apostles, so maintaining, practicing, and professing the faith that has been handed on. The word traditio means to hand on. So we have to look at this through the lens of tradition. I could give you a lecture on Newman, six, the six tests of authentic doctrine development, but it would not pass that test. In fact, it would pass the test. The six, if there was a six test on paganism, this would pass that test. This is this is a pagan ritual. There's no way to baptize it. Yeah, uh, let me just mention one more verse, Dan, and we're going to go on to a quick little video. Uh, St. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and following, uh, he says, Do not be mismated with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and iniquity? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has a temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Uh, I, I quote that because uh, the Aborigines, uh, they they didn't worship the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They worshiped spirits, which we know are demons. And they danced for these demon gods. Once again, the, the Psalm 95, verse 5, the gods of the Gentiles are demons. Yeah, Dan that, even the yeah. dance is ritualistic. That dance itself it has a ritual. This is not, they are more precise in liturgy than we are, to be honest. They, they are very precise. The they movement, know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. The movements, the tones, the colors, all these things have symbolic meaning. And, and we tend to, to, to minimalize all these things. It's like, oh, it's no big deal. I can say mass floating on a, on, a, on a raft, you know, and all these other abuses. I can bless people with my guitar. The, the, the pagan would, would, would cringe at that. They are absolutely precise directionally, left, left to right. Uh, uh, tonally, the pitch, the sound, the movement, everything that they do is is one hundred. The colors, all of that, is set, and they and they follow that. So there is this is what colors the 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 smoke, um, even the person, a female. This represents unity. It represents Mother Earth. It rep you know it represents instead of the unity in Christ, our unity in the church. Our unity is as creatures with Mother Earth. I mean, there's the, you cannot separate the paganism from this. That's why uh, that's why that's exactly what we're doing here on the show, Dan. Ephesians 5.11, the Bible says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That's exactly what we're doing, because this is, like you said, this is syncretism uh, any way you look at it. Dan, I want to move on to another topic. I want to watch a, a three-minute video, and this is going to be a Protestant Pentecostal deliverance ministry where, where people are laying hands and, and supposedly casting out demons. Uh, because a lot of this has spilled into the Catholic Church as well. We as Catholics in many quarters have borrowed from Protestant Pentecostalism. So I want to watch this video, then I want to get into how Protestant Pentecostalism has affected Catholicism in a negative manner. Mr. Engineer, can you play the clip? In the New Testament, is it verifiable that Christians can be attacked and oppressed by demons? God used controversy. Look, I'm on the list. He used CNN. He used the media. He used all of it to grow a massive size platform. Controversy built our platform. Two genders. It was never about the controversy. It was never about the politics. I thought it was. I thought it was about Trump. I thought it was about COVID. But God built our platform 
for deliverance. We are headed more into seeing prophecy fulfilled before our very eyes. There's a kingdom of righteousness and there's a kingdom of darkness. Something in our being craves something supernatural. If you're addicted to something, you have company. And he said in the last days, the church will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. They will begin to listen to demonic doctrines. He doesn't mind you going to church. He doesn't mind you praising as long as you don't change. There's a great awakening that is coming. The kingdom of God is not about talk. Jesus is king. It's about power and demonstration. The state of the church in the United States, I believe, needs a reawakening of deliverance because of the evil that's going around. Christians can be under the influence of satanic oppression. 100% they can. You see, redemption and salvation is for the lost. Deliverance is to set the captives free. The Word of God says, these signs shall follow them that believe. Kind of the enemy is to keep the church quiet. Deliverance is for the people of God. Deliverance is for the church. I'm here to call this culture to Jesus Christ and cast out demons. Because these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. Well, there you go. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this uh, Protestant Pentecostalism. This is uh, this is fairly new within Protestants. It's uh, it's a 20th century movement. Actually, probably the earliest uh, Pentecostal movements probably started developing with uh, John Wesley, who died in 1791. He was a former Anglican minister. He broke from the Church of England in 1738, started his own religious sect, popularly known as, as Methodism. And uh, it was John Wesley that started first preaching the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he's also one that developed the theology of the second blessing. And so this has taken Protestantism by sword, but Protestant Pentecostalism. And uh, the, the, the Protestant Pentecostal movement, which really took off with which uh, in the early 20th century, which was called the Azusa Street Revival. This is where, and you can see it from this video, Dan, is that Protestant Pentecostalism puts a lot of uh, emphasis on the end, what they call the, 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 the priesthood of all believers, number one. Uh, they believe that everybody, since they have a collapsed understanding of the priesthood, they don't understand the sacerdotal priesthood and the royal priesthood. Everybody's a priest, so everybody can drive out demons and everybody can bless people. But uh, here's what Archbishop, one of the great archbishops of Los Angeles said in 1971 about the Pentecostal movement and the charismatic movement. Cardinal Timothy Manning, rest in peace, one of the great Catholic archbishops, he said this. He says, I issue a pastoral letter warning Catholics of excessive emotionalism, credulity, and sought-after charismatic displays which question the genuineness of the activity of the, of, the, of the Holy Spirit in baptism of water and open the devotion to people of peripheral stability. He's, 
And Pope Paul VI, he also singled out criticism for those who, quote, esteem the charismatic elements of religion over the so-called institutional ones, close quote. And so the uh, he went on to rebuke those who engage in the search for spiritual facts in which there enters an indefinable and extraneous energy, which in a certain extent persuades the one who experiences it that he's in communication with God or more generically with the divine, with the spirit indeterminately. Uh, and so what what would we say about this? Well, I've, I've been to a lot of these charismatic events myself, Dan. Uh, Dan. There's a lot of auto-suggestion. There's a lot of uh, psychological uh, influence and manipulation. And I'm sure there are some actual healings because, uh, you know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I like what Cardinal Timothy Manning says <clears throat> is that, or, or Pope Paul VI says, is that, too many people are putting the charismatic elements of religion over the so-called institutional ones. Your book talks about the institutional elements of healing and deliverance above and beyond the the uh, uh, the gifted ones. And uh, we're, yeah, we're going to a quick break. Stick around. We'll be right back Wednesday War College. Wednesday War College, just remember Dr. Dan Schneider. <clears throat> let, let me just give you a little backdrop here. As um, the, the Protestant Pentecostal movement started with what's called the Azusa Street Revival. That began in the spring of 1906. And that largely spanned the worldwide Pentecostal movement, as that we call it today. It, it, it started with a former African Methodist Episcopal Church building located on 312 Azusa Street, Los Angeles, California. And the primary leader was evangelist Pastor William J. Seymour, who came to Los Angeles from Mississippi to preach the apostolic faith, a teaching that combined the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the speaking in tongues, such as experienced in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, as recorded in the book of Acts chapter 2. Uh, well, the, the Catholic Charismatic Renewal started around 1967 and has borrowed much of the practices and spirituality of the Protestant Pentecostal movement. Dan, I know that our Catholic Church said back in the Council of uh, 398 AD, it was one of the councils, uh, said that lay people, uh, the, the ministry of lay people or, or the, the office of exorcism was relegated now to holy orders. I think it was the uh, the Fourth Council of Carthage in 398 A.D., and so, and the reason is I can only imagine there was probably abuses back then because there 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 is power when a celibate virgin, consecrated person has holy orders and they're commissioned by Christ through apostolic succession to cast out demons versus a married person, you know, a person who's not uh, again not celibate, uh, not a virgin. There's a huge difference uh, between the lay priesthood, or we call the royal priesthood, and the sacerdotal priesthood, just like there was in the Old Testament. And I know, uh, uh, what's his name, um, in Korah. Korah understood the difference between his priesthood 
and Moses's and Aaron's authority because uh, as he was calling out Moses, basically saying, we're the same like you, Moses. You're no different from us. God opened the ground and swallowed 250 lay Israelites who were bucking and questioning God's authority uh, in relation to Moses and Aaron who were handpicked by God. Yeah. Now, when, when you watched that video, what did, did didn't you say? Wow, some of this, some of these practices have spilled into the Catholic Church. Yeah, a lot of them have been carried over. I mean, yeah, can can we can we uh, you know uh, be can be can we be impressed with their zeal, their love of Scripture, etc.? But a lot of these, I think, I think there was a time period where nobody in the hierarchical church was doing much other than Father Amorth, which is. Um, uh, he was really the the grandfather for the for the modern exorcisms, laying down some principles and returning this to its rightful place in in the seat of the church, in the heart of the church, and um, and so. But you had this, this in the charismatic renewal. There, there. I think it was just I would say some uncritical acceptance of modalities of ecclesiologies uh, of th that are that were more Protestant than Catholic, very minimalistic with, in terms of the priesthood, minimalistic in terms of the Virgin Mary, minimalistic in terms of the understanding of the church. Um, this is this is a um, this is a quote of Pope Paul VI. People say by baptism you can drive out demons. Okay, we, let us distinguish. Okay, we've, we've done this many times, but we need to distinguish. The priest has jurisdictional authority given through to Christ to the apostles. This is where we got to understand the development of doctrine and understanding of of office. Baptism does not confer any personal title to public ministry in the church. On the other hand, there is a universal vocation of all the baptized to exercise the royal priesthood by offering their lives to God by giving witness for his praise. This is Pope Paul VI on the declaration of why women can't become priests. It's about office and what the church, what Christ has established in the church. But what you describe, here's another quote. Pope Leo X is quoting Martin Luther, okay, in this in a papal bull, Exerge Domine. This is what Luther says. In the sacrament of penance and the remission of guilt, the pope or bishop does no more than the lowliest priest. In fact, when there is no priest, any Christian can do as much, even a woman or a child. So we see is this is the beginning. This is where we see formally today the collapse of the two priesthoods, of, of, of the, the universal priesthood, the royal priesthood of all the baptized which we all share in through as priest, prophet, and king baptized in, in Christ. But there is a separate priesthood, sacerdotal priesthood of, of, of the ordained. And they have what's called the tria munera, the threefold office, um, to preach, to heal, to sanctify. I mean, to preach, to heal, or sanctify, and to, to rule, to drive out demons. The munus dulcendi, the munus sanctificandi, the munus regende is the Latin. We see this very clearly in the first in the Gospel of Mark, and 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 Jesus sets out. He did three things on the first day of Mar in Mark's Gospel. He preached with authority, he healed the sick, and he drove out demons. And then he gives, then he calls those whom he wanted to him, so they might have authority. He says, to do what? To drive out demons, to preach, and to heal. How do they heal? How do they, how do they heal? How do they sanctify through the sacraments? And so there's always this tendency to follow Luther. Who, who says that the, the Pope or Bishop does no more than the lowliest priest. In fact, where there's no priest, any Christian can do as much, even a woman or a child. So you see this collapse in real time. And these are well-intended guys. They're, they're trying to stop evil. They're doing the best they can with what they have. But we have absolutely no reason to import these things into the Roman Catholic Church. Dan, I, here's the, the, the problems I see with many of the 
Pentecostal models, uh, and, uh, and and even in the charismatic renewal, one of the things that is is uh, is dangerous is the fact that uh, I see no. It's, there's a Marian minimalism, or should I say, Mary is not even part of the equation when it comes to healing and deliverance. That's the first thing. Another thing that I would say, another problem with the, the Pentecostal Protestantism as it spilled into the Catholic Church, and you even see in Catholic circles where they'll talk about when they talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, even even popes and theologians have had to correct that word. What they mean, that's almost synonymous as do you speak in tongues? As if that's uh, that's a, a criteria that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Do you speak in tongues? And And I've even heard some fellow Catholics say, well, my priest doesn't, you know, he doesn't speak in tongues and stuff. He's not spirit filled. He's not spirit filled. He's not anointed. He's not, yeah, he's not anointed. He, and I say, and I said, can you change that bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ? <laughs> well, 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 I said, well, uh, until you can do that, then, uh, then I think your definition of who's anointed uh, is 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 uh, is wanting. Another problem I see then with the Pentecostal movement. As a, and it's spill into the charismatic movement, is they're always seeking mystical phenomena and they're always seeking spiritual consolation. There's this very, uh, there's a danger with this type of spirituality because the devil can imitate mystical phenomena according to the doctors of the church. Uh, the, the devil can, can, can uh, mimic this. And, and, and too many Catholics <laughs> in the charismatic rule or in the Pentecostal movement They'll say, you probably heard this. They'll tell me, Jess, but when I go to Mass on Sunday, I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. So th this has kind of been like the common outcry <coughs> of a lot of Pentecostals and Charismatics. They'll say, I don't feel anything. Uh, and, 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 and feeling, this, this whole feelings Christianity, this is what Satan has been pushing in this sanctuary, is you've got to feel something or it's not Christianity uh, again, instead of the spiritual reward that comes from God through Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, everybody wants to feel good. I mean, I think about it in the Old Testament, the Jews were looking for a physical king. They wanted to feel good. Uh, Pentecostals, they, they want a physical experience of the Holy Spirit. To me, I, I see a lot of, a lot of sensualism. Uh, sensualism seems to be the grace of the Pentecostal movement. And everything about the Pentecostal movement is sensual. Touch me with your hands. Uh, the baptism of the Spirit. Uh, the speaking in tongues. The holding of hands. The, the effusive songs. The resting in the Spirit. And, and even prophecies. Everything has to be sensual. And, and Dan, uh, when I read the, the scriptures, it says, Be still and know that God is. Be quiet and know that God is. Dozens and dozens of times in the scripture, where do you find God? Elijah, where do you find God? He found God in the quietness, not in the storm, not in the wind, not in the rain, but he found God in the quietness. And so I think the devil's the devil's trying to make everybody look for a feeling-based Christianity, and that's just not what was happening on Calvary. When our lady John the Apostle and Mary Magdalene were standing under the cross. I don't think they were fist pumping. I don't think they were raising their hands in the air. I don't think they were doing praise and worship. I don't think they were speaking in tongues. I don't think they were popping their fingers and tapping their toes. I think they were there in sacred silence.
No, you're, 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 you're spot on, Jess. I should just let you keep going because I'm just going <laughs> to say what he said. But nowhere in the tradition of the church is our emotions uh, have anything to do with our standing before God. Um, the, the saints and mystics will, will constantly warn us against following our emotions or seeking emotional consolation. It's very dangerous. Um, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Saint John of the Cross, they would say, ignore it. If you get a consolation, ignore it. If God wants to bring it back, he'll bring it back. But the most important thing is sanctity. The charismatic gifts are ordered towards sanctity, and they must be made subject to the church. They're not given, is you know, they're given primarily for, for sanctification. So uh, if you've ever, but the, you're right, the demon can mimic, he can move matter, he can he can he can manipulate us if he knows that we're that we're that we're looking for the emotional charge he can mimic that the first time i caught a false consolation i i had assumed that every consolation i had was a real consolation the first time i caught the demon in false consolation was kind of like that scene with in jurassic park where there was i forget his name he was a hunter and he was he was like the alpha male he was in charge of the perimeter and defense of jurassic park security he walks out and he and, he, and he's facing down a raptor Right. And he's looking at it and the raptor's looking at him. He's getting ready to pull the trigger. And all of a sudden, two of them come out from the side because that was their technique. And, you know, the guy had explained it. This is how they fought back in the day. And so you knew this was you, you, you heard it before. And when it happened, you, you said, oh, he should have known what the other guy knew. But what this hunter said was he looked to the side and he realized he had fallen into a trap. And he said, clever girl. And so that's kind of that's kind of the first time I was caught in, in that. And, and I said, clever girl, well done. And that's when I've learned to be very suspicious of that. So so so, so we have to know that that um, you have to be careful because the demon will feed off of that. This is what St. St. Um, um, St. Boniface says, talking to to on the perfection of the. OK, we'll come we'll be right back. Stick around. Wednesday War College, we're back. Jess Romero, Dan Schneider. <clears throat> Dan, uh, the uh, one of the problems I see also in the Pentecostal movement, <clears throat> which has kind of spilled into the charismatic renewal as well, is they generally look to the Bible alone. You'll see you you'll see kind of a Bible alone approach, <clears throat> and you'll see a me and the Holy Spirit alone. It's just me and the Holy Spirit, and it's also my private interpretation based on my experiences and feelings alone. When you look at these core beliefs that I just laid out in the Pentecostal movement, and even in, in the charismatic renewal in many quarters, this is this is Martin Luther's core beliefs. It's mm -hmm. Bible alone. <clears throat> the, the Bible tells me in Mark 16, 15, that I can, I, I can cast out demons. I, 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 the Bible tells me that. Uh, it's the, the Holy Spirit tells me alone. I don't care what you say, Jesser. The Holy Spirit's telling me I can do this. And also number three is my private interpretation of Mark 16 based on my experiences and my feelings alone. That's sufficient. Well, guess what, Dan? That's modernism, plain and simple. Yeah, it's a rejection of authority. I mean, academically, we, 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 there's a field of, of study called text reception. How do we know what the scripture means and interpret it? It's, 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 we, we have to sound this on how these scripture verses were received in the church, particularly in, in, in doctors of the church. I want, so I want to read a couple of the doctors of the church. Uh, Cardinal Newman said that, St. John Henry Newman said that, that lesser minds in the church percolate, as it will. If you remember, 
back in the day, army coffee would, would be old percolators, uh, field coffee, campy coffee, percolating. They would percolate, and my lesser minds of the church would later get fuller development by doctors of a church. The percolation by lower by by saints, popes, councils, you know, or actually saints and and, and holy popes, and then doctors of a church and councils and papal statements help make these decrees. So, two things I want to say. One is um, last I think two weeks ago we were reading in the office of readings the second reading we covered for a week the, on the mysteries by saint ambrose doctor of the church this is the catechesis that he was that he was giving before people were being baptized they were receiving their catechesis and and he says um um you open up we open the holy holies for you you renounce the devil and his works and his dissipa dissipa dissipation and sensuality uh, uh, um, you saw the Levite, the priest, you saw the high priest. Don't consider their outward form, but the grace given by their ministries. You spoke in the presence of angels, etc. You must not judge him, the priest, by his appearance, by his appearance, but by his office. Non specie tibi estimandus, said munere, by his munus, by his office. Authority comes through office. Uh, remember what he handed on to you. Uh, later in that same catechesis, don't consider the merits of the individuals, but the office of the priest. If you don't look at the merits, consider the merits of Peter and Paul. And also in the same way you consider the merits of Elijah. They have handed on to us this sacrament, which they received from the Lord Jesus Christ. The succession of authority of office they received from Christ. This is the uniqueness of the Catholic priesthood. He says visible fire was sent upon them to give faith. Believe uh, um, for in us who believe an invisible fire is at work. That visible fire was a sign. Our invisible fire is for our instruction. They're calling down like Elijah, calling fire down to heaven. This is why Ambrose links Elijah with Peter and Paul, right? And Pentecost, the flame. So this is handing down through the office, and it's very dangerous when you when you're trying to 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 claim for yourself something that is proper to the priesthood. Here's what Saint Bonaventure says. If you wish to know yourself better, you must secondly reflect. He's talking to virgins here, religious sisters. Reflect to see if there thrives in you or has thrived a disordered desire for pleasure, curiosity, or vanity. Surely the disordered desire of curiosity thrives in the servant of God when he desire, she desires to know the occult or when she yearns to see the beautiful or when she wants to possess what is rare. Obviously, the disordered desire of vanity thrives in the spouse of Christ, the soul, when she seeks the favors of others, when she yearns for the praise and desires to be honored by them. The spouse of Christ must flee like poison, all of these things, because they are the roots of the devil. This idea of curiosity, or Jordan Allman and spiritual theology, he wrote a master book called Spiritual Theology. It's, it's a seminal work uh, um, on spiritual theology. Here's what he says. It would be to, it would be dangerous in the normal course of events to desire to or ask God for the graces date or or charisms or charisms. They are not necessary for salvation nor for sanctification, and they require the direct intervention of God. For more precious is an act of love than a charismatic gift. In this author's experience, those who have authentic charismatic gifts, and they are, they're legitimate. I've seen them often do not want them to be known by others and do not actually want the graces themselves since they often involve suffering undue attention. So the age-old teaching of the saints is not to desire extraordinary gifts, but to conformity to Christ and the will of God. So these are doctors of the church. These are the, the voice of the voice of tradition speaking out. It's very dangerous. I, we don't deny that there's charismatic gifts. Jesse, you, you and I have seen them. But when you start asking for them, 
and 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 God does not want to grant them to you, another spirit might come up and say, I'll be your, I'm your huckleberry and I'll give you a false gift. I'll give you a false gift and they'll walk you into a trap. You just got to be very, very careful of it. Even 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 any contemplative will tell you even the contemplative life, Teresa of Avila and, and, and Carmelite cont contemplation is itself a cross. It, it's, a, it's a gift. Contemplation is fully a gift. But it's a cross. Those, those who are living the life of a contemplative physically and those laity, which is rare, that are that are, that are engaging in, in contemplation, there's a price to be exacted for that gift. And it's and it's and it's the cross. It's very difficult. So anyway, there's just some some voices of tradition I wanted to weigh in with. Good stuff, Dan. Uh, let me just go back. It was at 398 at the Fourth Council of Carthage uh, were the the early church they put exorcism under the aegis of holy orders. So uh, if, if people are wondering, so when was that regulated? It was regulated in 398 AD at the Fourth Council of Carthage. Even recently, the U.S. bishops, you could go on the U.S. bishops' website on their frequently asked questions, FAQ. It says this, quote, the minister of minor exorcism is the designated authorized minister of the sacrament. Uh, or blessing being celebrated. Thus, the prayers may be offered by any member of the clergy or by lay faithful. Here it is. The lay faithful have exorcistic faculties to pray minor exorcism prayers for themselves by virtue of their baptism. For themselves by virtue of their baptism. So, yes, of course, lay people can pray deliverance prayers. But there's there's a there's there are boundaries and there are rules of engagement and the bishops have told us yes, uh, and in fact the bishops also have said in the frequently asked questions is that parents should be blessing their children. USCCB frequently asked questions. Parents should be blessing their children often. Dan and somebody else was also kind of waiting over in Washington D.C. Monsignor Rossetti, who's the exorcist of Washington D.C. He's also said lay people should not do what we what we just showed in that video. Lay people should not be uh, laying hands on other lay people and driving demons out. The video that I just showed you of that Protestant ministry, Catholic lay people shouldn't be doing that. That's a Protestant model. And th they do that once again because they do not have an understanding of the sacerdotal priesthood. Dan? Well, I would add to that, not just about Monsignor Rossetti, uh, Monsignor Charles Pope. Um, Father Winston Cavading, who was the chief exorcist in the Philippines, and Father Father Chad Ripperger. Those are four very prominent, very learned, um, um, which would which in, in the tradition of the church would be considered approved authors, if not now someday, meaning they have they have deep experience and learning um in this field that are all that all four have said that lay people should not be imposing hands on other lay people to drive out demons. Again, understand the church. It, 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 it's based solely on scripture and there's no development and there's no reception of those of that scripture. But how do we understand this is what Pope Benedict or Cardinal Ratzinger in the, his earlier writings talked about the fourfold layering of the gospel tradition. And then you have the Old Testament interpretation, of the Old Testament, New Testament interpretation of the Old Testament, the New Testament interpretation of the New Testament. St. Paul says we are the temple of the living God. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. How does how did the New Testament writers interpret the the words and deeds of Christ, but then the fourth, the ecclesial interpretation of the New Testament. How did the church 
receive in the early nascent years. And it took time for that to develop uh, uh, over the centuries. But in that third and fourth, particularly the fourth century, but starting in the third century, there's a real development and codification. This is when we see religious life, uh, higher, a, a more uh, a specific hierarchy in the formation of orders. Um, even though they're nascent and Ignatius of Antioch, priest, deacon, bishop, priest, and deacon, uh, in the, in already in 105 AD, but we see religious life, uh, monastic life, consecrated virginity being formalized. And at that time as well, Catholicism with Augustine and Benedict took its own, took its own roots and have stayed in that direction until the modern time. The argument that the early church has uh, we're going just back to basic Christianity. Christianity was Pentecostalism. Well, if you're a Protestant, that would be true. If you would ignore the development of 2000 years, I'm not even getting into the scholastic and post-scholastic and neo-scholastic uh, uh, developments. Even in that early church, you see a very clear delineation and development of office. Ambrose was writing and he was Augustine's spiritual father. He was writing in the late 300s. Um, uh, and so and so we, we 350 or so when he wrote this. So we're then that fourth century. He's writing to religious sisters and virgins, and and um, and, and or, no, he's writing to to about the office of the priesthood, the catechumens. This stuff is being pulled out and fleshed out and developed in the early church, and we still live in that stream. And, we're, and there's a tendency today, like you say, modernism, to break from the the voice of tradition and start anew. We started off with crazy stuff, uh, stuff that's going on in Australia, stuff that we we could talk about Mexico and other places, even in our United States, Germany, but it all begins here. And, 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 and truncating off from the deposit of faith and how the early church received scripture and our understanding and the development of orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right belief and right practice. Dan, let me throw another, another fifth exorcist that weighs in on laying on of hands, lay people. Father Lampert, here's what he says. The reason a major exorcist that needs a bishop's permission is that the priest talks directly to the devil and commands him in the name of Jesus Christ to leave that person. For the priest to be able to do that, he needs the authority of the church behind him. The lay faithful should not give commands to demons. Demons recognize the authority of bishops and the church. If you claim authority on your own, it can get you in trouble. Uh, Father Lambert says, uh, he says, but the power of the authority of the church that comes from, from Christ, Catholics understand that individuals don't have that power, Father Lambert. So that's the fifth person that's weighed into this discussion. Yeah, I think we need to give voice to those gentlemen, those priests, those holy priests and their experience. We need to we need to hear that in light of the voice of tradition. And and uh, um, I, I think we need to, re again, return back to that. We talk about the right to bless and gestures um, because the, the right to command will, will follow the right to bless. And I think we need to understand that. Um, and, and Go ahead. Dan, we got a few seconds left. Where can people get your book? DanBooks.com. Yeah. The Christo Method, a uh, uh, manual for spiritual combat, Tan Books. If you want to buy the, if you want to get the solution, get my book. If you want to read the problem, get Jesse's book, Devil on the City of Angels. That's right. One-two punch in your life. Yeah. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Keep the faith.